This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hi there, Robbie here. What have we got coming up for you on today's episode of the Offscript podcast? As usual, it's an eclectic mix because Chris McCarty was granted an audience with legendary film director Ridley Scott. It was a short conversation, just five minutes long, in fact, but Chris definitely eked the most out of his conversation with the film director. We also discussed the worst stadium names in sport. This after Crypto.com paid big money to take over the Staples Centre. And Chris has also been in conversation with the CEO of Cricket Australia, Nick Hockley. As always, enjoy the podcast. The Offscript Podcast. You have been in conversation. You have an audience with 83-year-old legendary film director Ridley Scott. He's 83? Yes, he is. He is. He was born in 1937 in County Durham. That explains an awful lot. Would you add this to the Stephen Seagal canon of weird interviews? No, I mean, listen, I wasn't here for Stephen, and I've yet to hear Stephen. You haven't missed anything? No, I know I haven't. No, this wasn't quite that. But, you know, I said this to you, and I kind of have shared it with one or two close friends because I was only given four minutes with him mm. you know me I'm quite relaxed it's the old adage that if you you know fail to prepare prepare to fail well, I was well prepared why were you only given four minutes just out of interest just because that's was uh, he on a, a big rotor of yes, he was. media commitments? I did give William Mullally a call because uh, I thought to myself, William will know. And he tells me mm. that it is commonplace in these kind of movie media junkets to get four minutes. And you know me, I like to luxuriate. Mm, four minutes is your hello, usually. Exactly. Put a preamble. Yeah. Well, let's up. get started then. First question. <laughs> exactly, Rob. You know my shtick. We've worked together a long time. So to be told only four minutes, mm. I was waiting in You're the, under the pump. You're, you're sweating a bit. I was, I was sweating. And obviously I'm nervous to get started. As you're going to hear this interview in its entirety. <laughs> I thought he was a lovely fella. Of course, Sir Ridley Scott needs no introduction. A man who has uh, directed the likes of Aliens, Blade Runner, Gladiator, Black Hawk Down, Thelma and Louise, Body of Lies. The the list goes on and on. So bearing in mind, let's get into this. Bearing in mind, we've got four minutes and this is how the conversation started. So Middle East where, Christopher? Where are you? I'm currently in Dubai, Sir Ridley. Oh, Dubai. Okay, I know Dubai. It is 25 past midnight, so thank you so much for your time this evening. Why do you sound Scottish? It's because I am Scottish. Aberdeen okay. is home. Aberdeen, okay, fine. That's that's beautiful as well. Beautiful. I'm actually a bit further north, but I won't bore you with that details. <laughs> right, so that was... I thought we were going to get into Fockabers then. <laughs> well, we don't go Fockabers. That's about an hour and a half north of Aberdeen. I love the fact as well that he goes, you sound Scottish. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. was he expecting? He was expecting you to be Emirati, wasn't he? Well, he was expecting me to, yeah, I guess, have uh, yeah. an Arabic kind of twang to my dulcet tones, but I didn't. I was, I'm, I was broad Scottish as they come yeah. so I mean I don't know what the follow up to that, <laughs> that was by the way that was 25 exactly <laughs> so that was 20% of your interviewer t- yeah, time gone. with him absolutely gone absolutely gone like that. exactly now we, <laughs> I did get him away rather quickly from the motherland because he is and he was there to promote his new movie House of Gucci for those of you that perhaps aren't aware a little bit of a synopsis here it is Patrizia Reggiani she is played by 
Lady Gaga, an outsider from humble beginnings, marries into the famous Gucci family, and her unbridled ambition begins to unravel the family legacy and triggers a reckless spiral spiral of betrayal, decadence, great word, that, revenge, and ultimately murder. Based on a true story, this, as well. So, let's get into it. So, we talked Scotland, (laughs) and then it was, first question, what had attracted the legendary Sir Ridley Scott to this particular project? A story of disaster within a family that might be paralleled with Medici or Borgia. 14th, 15th century family, what's the difference? Today, same thing, same behavior. Isn't it interesting in history, we keep repeating bad behavior. The last two, same thing, doesn't change. What, you could have had a 25-minute conversation (laughs) on that remark. Exactly. I mean, I think it is very interesting, but we have to move on, don't we? Well, I was sweating. Here's me thinking. He he throws out a couple of families that I've got no scooby who they are, and I thought to myself, you know who I need right now? A man who got a 2-1 at the University of Southampton in history. Who are Medici? Who's that family? Medici, famous Italian family. So I'm uh, a scrupulous dear. researcher as I am. He throws out two names and I'm I'm stumped. You're I'm paddling. Like, <laughs> You're thinking, right, how do I get this onto Maximus Decimus Meridius ASAP? <laughs> How do I get this onto the safer territory well, of you know the what? commander of the armies of the north? Well, you know how you do that? You just literally go, thank you for that, Sir Ridley. Talk to me, if you can, about <laughs> Lady Gaga, because he has worked, of course, with a number of incredible actors. Sigourney Weaver in Aliens, Harrison Ford, Blade Runner, Leonardo DiCaprio, Body of Lies, Russell Crowe in Gladiator. So we're getting more onto more solid footing here yeah. with Maximus Decimus Meridius, <laughs> uh, husband to a murdered wife, father to a murdered son. Uh, but where did Lady Gaga in Sir Ridley's uh, esteemed opinion and just her second feature film stack up with the rest? I would say shares more than any actor I've worked with. She shares what she thinks she would like to do and I share with her what I'm going to do. So it's a good combination because I walk in very planned. I'm very, very planned um, to the extent I've already storyboarded the entire bloody film. Personally, that's what I do. And so when you storyboard, you're filming on paper. So I can walk in with four cameras. Four cameras in- enables the actor freedom because I turn them all loose and everything is captured on the four cameras and they're never aware of the four cameras. So they love it. And I think she adored the speed of things. And so before that, we would... Have a, of course, we would have, you know, to get two weeks talking about what you're going to do with, say, her and Adam Driver. Is that's quite a long time. I don't know when you play. I don't know how you rehearse for four months. What do you do? What do you say after a month? So it's like what? Um, two weeks for me is plenty. We all know what we're going to do, and I know I've got a great team. And then we've got all the other with them, Al Pacino, uh, Jared Leto, et cetera, all the guys. Four months is a long time. Four minutes, on the other hand, is not. No, exactly that. And at that point, that was a minute and 21 seconds. I had no clue halfway through what he was banging on him. Four cameras, turn them on, let them loose. Brilliant. Share away, off you go. So, uh, let's hear from Lady Gaga now. We'll give Sir Ridley a break. We'll come back to him in a second. He's taking a breather. <laughs> Let's hear from Lady Gaga now. You know, Patricia 
Giuliani, Patrizia Gucci, is uh, somebody that I didn't know until I read the script. And I really uh, went into a romance with the character as well as the script itself. And the truth is, I admired her strength. I also admired her weaknesses. And playing a murderer is hard because I inherently don't believe in the evil that she colluded with at the end of her life. Uh, and also, Maurizio fell in love with her strength. And I do believe in this film, you watch the story of a woman, a woman unraveling, and it's a story that only women really can understand in a way when it comes to her. But what's wonderful about House of Gucci, the film, is that Ridley Scott, the legendary director, he created something that is actually about a family, an Italian family, Italian family business, and what happens when a woman tries to infiltrate this business and the men shut her down. That's the voice there of Lady Gaga. That was about her portrayal of Patrizia Reggiani, who is the, the kind of uh, key part of this particular story mm. of betrayal, of decadence. Yeah, you obviously had a question for him about how his style had changed. Yeah, exactly that. You know, someone who's been in the, the game, the in, in, in the industry as long as he has, you know, you obviously, you evolve, you get better over time. At least that's the, the kind of notion you get more experience. So that was the question I put to Sir Ridley. Just how has he changed as the years have gone by? Um, no school, no film school, no directing school. I went to art school. My biggest thing I did was go to art school. And I, ironically, I went to a funny little art school in a place called West Hartlepool, which is near County Durham. And it was West Hartlepool College of Art. And I, but from Hartlepool, four years, I then got into everywhere in London. I got into the Royal College, the Academy, and the Slade. But uh, not as a painter. I was, I, I was struggling with painting, and I went into graphic design and said, that's how it evolved. So from there, I use every day what I learned at art school when I make movies. I had no training at all. Incredible, that. Yeah. Not quite the question I did no, ask. No, no. I was going to say, not much about his involvement over the decades. I mean, that was how he evolved at the very start. Yeah. And my Scottish accent, listen, a lot of people kind of misread. No, 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 of course, of I'm course. Saying. But I think what he's getting at there is the fact, no training. This is a man who, you know, went to art school, evolved into graphic design, and here he is now, all these years later, one of the most foremost directors, mm. certainly of the last 50 years, yeah. if not ever. So you've got to doff your cap to him. Now, as our regular your listener James he put forward uh, on the text line you've got to ask him about the Hovis the famous TV commercial over in the UK the Hovis advert Hovis which is a brand of bread yeah, very good over one. in the UK his TV commercial back in 1973 boy in a bike it is legendary it is famous and I wanted to know from Sir Ridley whether he could have ever envisaged the career that he's gone on to have doing that ad now he actually recounts the story that would be the inspiration for that famous commercial uh, no, I think I still go back to me and uh, uh, my s brother who was six years younger than I. And it was a summer holiday and I would be 21. He would be 14, 15. And I'd say, OK, I've got a camera. We're going to make a movie. He said, but it's a holiday. I said, get out of bed. We're going to make a movie. And so I then worked him for the next month. I ruined his holiday because he was on camera, and that little kid would have later direct Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop. So uh, it was a funny film we made for 65 pounds, which is still in the British Film Institute. If you want to see it, it's in the British Film Institute. 
It's pretty good. And the evolution of Tony Scott on camera, he could have been an actor, actually. And so it was just the two of us making this film. And I had no idea that we were planning a life together. And, and a career. Funny that, no. It is. That is his younger brother, the late Tony Scott, who would direct Top Gun with Tom Cruise, Days of Thunder. Wow. With Tom Cruise, True Romance, with Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette. What a movie that is. I think Quentin Tarantino's first script, if memory serves, he actually sold the script in order to fund other projects. Enemy of the State with Will Smith, Gene Hackman, and Man of Fire as well, which is, of course, uh, Denzel Washington. Man on Fire, which is an amazing movie. And with all of that, our time was up. I was told to wrap it. I did just that, but not before Sir Ridley paid me the ultimate compliment. House of Gucci, I cannot wait to watch this movie. You're a top man. Thank you so much for your time this evening. Thank you, man. I love the accent. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ridley. I'll take that. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that all the way. I'll take that. It's half past one in the morning here in the UAE. I'm off to bed. <laughs> and that's kind of what it was. Oh, brilliant. The Off Script Podcast. The Kickback. Stories that have the world of social sharing. On Off Script. We're going for a kind of worst edition ever kickback here. Hopefully not of the kickback, <laughs> but of themes that involve the worst things. And I just stumbled across a bunch of stories of uh, which had this same kind of theme running through them. So we've, we've clubbed them together, yeah, as we like sometimes it. do on this show. The first one I want to get to you, because we're, we're in very familiar territory here, Chris. The worst name for an iconic sporting venue. A lot of Newcastle fans, I'm sure, would name check the Sports Direct Arena. Yeah. Yeah, it's horrible. Again, a lot of CEOs listen to Dubai I 103.8, certainly in the mornings. Whether they, they listen to us on the drive home is another matter. But I've always wondered about this because when you get a stadium that is rooted in tradition and heritage, like St. James's Park, Newcastle United's home, does it really work spending millions upon millions to rename it the Sports Direct Stadium or Arena? Because fans... All you're doing is turning the fans away and off. Yeah, and, and fans will right. always... They're not, they're not going to... You know, they're not going to call it that. They're going no. to call it St. James's Park by Hooker by Crook. Although you enjoy a sponsor mention. Yeah, I do. You pay homage to the I sponsor. You pay homage. <laughs> you do. I know what way my bread is <laughs> buttered. Few, few sponsors ever escape your, uh, your net. The Emirates Dubai Seven. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's the rubber stamped ICC. into you. I often drop sponsors, which is probably why you are the most respected broadcaster <laughs> in the UAE, and I am not, Chris McCarley. One on of the now. few. One of the few reasons. But I do want to get to the story here uh, because in a 520 million pound deal, which is monster, mm-hmm. that's uh, tw- um, 2.5 billion dirhams, well, if I'm not wrong. mistaken. <laughs> Now, one of the most iconic sports stadiums in the United States, the Staples Center, is going to be renamed the Crypto.com Arena mm-hmm. after the big Crypto.com website. Now, uh, as a just, haven't they just commandeered Matt Damon, these guys? Of Crypto.com? I think so. commandeered them? Do they own them? Well, he's been popping up on their ads, has he not? Okay, so he's I think he has. signed an advertisement deal with them, an ambassadorial role. Mm. Having commandeered him, Rob. Crypto.com do not own <laughs> Matt Damon for anyone worried. He's not trending. You can't buy him on any of the, the, the naming trackers. rights to the Staples Centre. He's currently trading at 60,000. Own Matt Damon. That's not happening. But the irony of this, and a lot of people are up in arms over this, but of course it's not lost on me that the Staples Centre 
was Staples the the brand, the yeah. paper brand? The, yeah. The one I'm looking at. Not exactly it? glamorous itself. Exactly. Was it? the, exactly that. So, but there's, there was a certain regality to the Staples Centre. I think. Really? A bit of rooted in tradition it's there. It's a bit like Dunder Mifflin Centre. I mean, <laughs> you know where I'm going with that. So, listen, I get it. That was the name. It's always going to be named. But as I, as I popped out to St. James's Park, even although it's now officially the Crypto.com Arena, fans of the place will always still refer to it as the Staples. It was Molly Lambert who wrote on Twitter, they did it. They came up with a name that was worse than the Staples Centre. <laughs> the Crypto.com uh, Arena. BT's sports head of social, James McManus, said the Crypto.com Arena is genuinely the worst name I've ever seen given to anything that needed naming ever. And a lot of people pointed out that there were some pretty bad ones out there. So we kind of thought we'd do a bit of digging to find out. And a few of you have gotten in touch to mention the guaranteed rate field. Oh my God. Which was originally Comiskey Park, home to the Chicago White Sox. Before it was the guaranteed rate field, it was the US cellular field. I mean, the guaranteed rate field. <laughs> Anything that involves lending or borrowing exactly. or whatever. It's just awful, you know. isn't it? And then the Colorado <laughs> Rapids, who, if memory serves me correct, are actually owned by Sports the Sports should be about family. romance, shouldn't it? Of course, it? the Dick Sporting the Goods <laughs> Park. <laughs> the guaranteed rate field. Is there anything unsexier than getting a percentage <laughs> point a on your wrong. mortgage. I do not need my stadium names to be sexy, thank you very much. I just need them to be perfunctory. Yeah, but what's the chocolate box one? Oh, La Bombonera. Exactly. Now, that is sexy. Now we're talking. Right? Yes. You'll, you'll, you'll agree with me here. Home there's of there's a romance Juniors. to Old Trafford, the Bernabeu, the Camp Nou. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, you're right. The guaranteed rate field <laughs> is deplorable on every single level. Indeed. Um, the Whataburger Field, uh, the double, the Astros Double A affiliates, and the Corpus Christi Hooks play there oh, down in Texas. The, the Whataburger wa Field, the cheaper insurance direct <laughs> stadium. Any any stadium name with the word cheaper in it is um, you're selling your soul by naming. But do you know where the cheaper insurance direct stadium is? It'll be in America somewhere. No, it's not, believe it or not. No, where is it? <laughs> it's in Dumbarton. Oh, come on, Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The best one in Scotland is the Tony Macaroni Arena. Yeah, well, I've got that. I've got a little clip of I've that. I've been to the Tony Macaroni Arena, uh, which is an Italian chain of restaurants over in Scotland. And Big Tony decided to slap his name yeah. on Livingston's well, home ground. There's the, there's the Minute Maid Park. There's the Save on Foods Memorial Centre. Uh, there's, I think, the best one. Um, and I've got a little montage, actually, but uh, the KFC Yum Centre, <laughs> uh, home of the University of Louisville Cardinals. I like it. Okay, should we have a little listen to this montage? Yeah, come on then. These projects will allow the KFC Yum Centre to remain one of the premier sports and entertainment venues in the country. We're talking about the man who conducts the train at Minute Maid Park. And today, that number one best thing is officially coming to the Old Sleep Train Arena in Natomas. I think Livingston Stadium is now called the Tony Macaroni Arena. The restaurant's right next to it. Oh, my Lord. Hearing a Glaswegian <laughs> say that. Tony Macaroni Arena. <laughs> the restaurant you can just pop next door for your macaroni after the game. <laughs> Yeah, they need to come up with some better names, um, I'm afraid. Okay, from worst stadium names to... I'm going to ask you, is this the worst apology of all time? Because 
First of all, what are the key ingredients to a good apology, would well, you say? Well, it's got to be sincere for us for a start. That yeah. is probably first, second and third points yeah. on said apology. So it's got to be sincere. It's got to be heartfelt. And there's got to be a bit of panache. If English or the written word is not a strong point, then pull a Robbie Greenfield in to perhaps help you write what? said apology. Oh, but if you're actually just apologising in person to someone ah, right, or if then. you're sending them a text message or something. Okay, text message. Then I would say, Robbie, go and quickly write me I an mean, apology. I mean, there are those out there that would say a good apology should never be sent on text message. Correct. It should be either at the minimum a phone call yeah, uh, or face-to-face. Mm-hmm. You know, really, when you just kind of front up. Just be sincere, be honest. Okay. This is this is none of those things. This apology. Right, I want, want you to kind of. I want you to critique this this apology because I think it commits every cardinal sin of apologising. <laughs> come on, man. Uh, one TikTok star oh, has shared the apology she got from her boyfriend for cheating on her, oh, no. and the video has been viewed over five million times. She's been very clever actually because she's got her mate, a girl called Lindsay, to play violin in the background while she reads out the apology. Of course she has. So I want to uh, I want to read you the apology. And let's, let's go through how many sins it commits, OK? okay. Here's, the, here's the apology. I know it wasn't right that I, quote, technically hooked up with your roommate, <laughs> but I've been going through a lot and that's not who I am. Right. Gets defensive so he's immediately. distanced himself he's from dist- the fact. <laughs> he's, he's put technically in there. I don't know why. You, you did or you didn't. Yeah. Right? right. Technically or untechnically. Not sure why that's an important word, but he's decided to put it in quote marks. So he's, he's flagged it up as an important word. I've been failing most of my classes and you know I just got fired. So at this point, okay. he's calling for sympathy. So he is. He, he's saying that that gives he's him the He's justifying right. his behaviour. Correct, that's what he's yeah. doing. So I would really appreciate it if you showed me some sort of sympathy and stopped making me feel like a villain. <sighs> wow. Now he's on the offensive. He's got on the front foot. <laughs> it's line three of his apology, and he's decided to turn defence into attack. It's in transition. He's, he's got possession, and he's, he's launched a swift counter-attack. This is Liverpool Football Club on the attack right here, is what he's done on exactly. line number three. <laughs> right, so he's got an aggressive. Line number four. Plus, you've been really busy at work and I've been feeling really alone. So it's now on her. Yeah. He's blaming her. It's basically her fault that what he did. That's what he's done. It's her fault. I was just missing you. Now he's guilt tripping her. (laughs) And it was a one time mistake playing it down. One and done. I love you so much, oh, capitalised, no. much more than Emily, he goes on to add. Emily? Not Emily Smith, is it? I'm not sure. No, not, not, not sure what Emily it was. And then he goes on. This is his final flourish. What am I supposed to tell my family, he says. I'm sorry, OK? So now he's defiant. Final parting shot. Also, did you change the Netflix <laughs> password? <laughs> Can I rewind a little bit? <laughs> he says I love you so much more than Emily. So he's admitting that there is a bit of love towards Emily, who we can only assume is the roommate. But we can only assume that, unless there's others in the picture here. I mean, this is an apology that ain't going to get you far. Yeah, well, this apology got mocked, as it, as it well should have done. And um, the violin was out, and a lot of people have been commenting on the worst apologies they've ever received. But I have to admit, if his objective was to write the worst apology, he's played an absolute blinder. <laughs> yeah, he has. He's accused her, he's guilt-tripped her, He's asked for a Netflix password. He's barely said sorry. He's gone on the offensive. And he's also and he's justified his behaviour. And he's inadvertently admitted... He's accepted zero responsibility for any wrongdoing. And inadvertently admitted that he does love Emily. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well. <laughs> Brilliant. Well done. Right, How okay. not to apologise for your wrong. The Off Script Podcast. 
Well, let's get straight into it because I started by congratulating Nick Hockley on Australia's first ever success. And of course, it's fair to say that it hasn't been an easy couple of years. I think he's been in the job now for just over a year, Nick. And obviously, going back a couple of years, whoever's been in the hot seat of Cricket Australia, it's been mm. a bit of a poison chalice. Well, it was a, it's been a very hot seat. It has indeed, given what went on in South Africa back in 2018, was it not? 2017, 2018? 18, I think. No, we were in the old studios, early 2018, before we moved here. I think so. Yeah, it was, Sandpaper Gate and all. But before we get into that, let's keep on the positives. Australia's first ever success at the T20 World Cup. And I wanted to get Nick's, uh, Nick's thoughts on what was at the heart of well, Australia getting there and what was the difference compared to the rivals? I, I, think it's, I think it's two or three factors. I mean, let's not forget we were due to host the Men's T20 World Cup in 2020 and then that was postponed. A huge amount of work has gone in uh, to that tournament, which I think has has been foundational in in terms of this campaign. And uh, of course, Australia has never won the Men's T20 World Cup before, so it it is the the trophy that has eluded them. So I think there was a really strong motivation in that in that respect. I mean, we we had anything but uh, an optimal <laughs> lead into this this tournament. We toured the West Indies uh, and got beaten 4-1 in five T20s. Uh, we then went on to Bangladesh, got beaten again 4-1 uh, in five uh, T20s. Um, but I. For those for that tour, we had a number of our, our senior players um, out for various reasons. So, and when you look down that that squad list of, of fifteen, um, and you think you've got some of the the highest ranking players uh, from the IPL auction, which is you know it is a, it is a barometer of, of T20 talent. So I think the team lo- looked around and go, you know what we haven't if we, if we fulfil our potential, um, then we can then we can beat anyone. And yeah, as the tournament went on, um, they. Uh, the confidence build. I've got to give a huge amount of credit um, to uh, the, the coaches, uh, Justin Langer, his assistant coaches, uh, and the captains, because um, coming off that uh, Bangladesh uh, defeat, we, um, the playing group, the senior leaders, had some some pretty direct and, and honest conversations, and um, did what um, any great team does. They they really kind of made very clear. Their, their roles, responsibilities. Um, they really defined and focused on, on on the task at hand, which you know was a, a very very clear focus on uh, playing to their their full potential in this tournament. And you know I think they executed brilliantly, and they they looked like they were having an absolutely fantastic time. So I, I do think it's worth worth noting the the spirit in which the whole tournament played. And I think it's partly because people just, you know, we've coming out of a very difficult time and people were just really pleased to be all back together. So, um, you know, I, I was particularly pleased to see the spirit in which this tournament was played. I'm interested to know if, who Nick will be cheering for come I December. Did, I did ask him that off record and, and I, I can answer this, I think, uh, without um, Nick's ire being directed my way. I mean, listen, he's a professional. Uh, he did marry an Australian. He has become an Australian citizen. His job is cricket Australia. So with that, and this is you know off record. This wasn't on record. He said it's going to be Australia, right? That's the reflection of who, who he is and what his job now is in his life. It is, yeah, and he said, "Listen, fair enough. an Australia win for him helps him in his job." And listen, there were, there were a couple of kind of difficult questions to ask him. And, and listen, it wasn't lost on me that David Warner played very well in this competition. I think he was named Man of the Tournament. I am keen. You didn't softball questions to Nick Hockley. No, I didn't. Uh, uh, Sandpaper Gate came under the microscope. It did. Well, listen, I made the point, and when I say I was. 
going hardball with him. It wasn't quite that. Obviously, you're always looking to, to, to ask the questions that need to be asked. And it wasn't lost on me that, that David Warner was in fine fettle for Australia. He was excellent. A couple of wonderful knocks. Isn't it amazing, by the way, just to interrupt, that he he was deemed to have not had a... a his career was essentially deemed to have been over. 18 yes, months ago it was people were speculating whether he'd ever play that, again that for Australia Smith would be back that Bancroft was younger that he would be reintroduced I mean, it's and Bancroft the one who's disappeared yeah it is which there's maybe more to that story and there's more for us maybe to discuss and look into that but David Warner is back and he let his cricket do his talking at this World Cup because you know the, the, the bullish David Warner the David Warner that we've been talking I mean you, you met I play him. golf with him yeah. with golf. you found him amiable yeah, absolutely yeah n- n- nice enough guy I mean literally taken as an isolated encounter very pleasant very cordial chatty uh, absolutely, you can fine. only judge a man. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, you know, you can only judge him on, on what you kind of know of him, having met him. Clearly, an intense know. competitor. Indeed, uh, he was. Um, I'm keen to sort of shoot as good a score as possible. Of but course. then these guys are wired that way, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they certainly are. And, and you know, coming back to his performances, a 53 in the final against the Kiwis, and you know, he performed well. And I, I did put the question to Nick whether you know David Warner is this kind of his rehabilitation from Sam Papergate now complete and, and you know he's, he's back on song and he's back in favour with the Aussie public well I think David Warner's a class player and uh, I think he um, he made a massive contribution I mean winning player of the tournament but uh, yeah again what I think was particularly pleasing about this campaign and you know I think to go on and actually win the trophy it's a prerequisite is that everybody contributed um, so you know you think about the likes of Adam Zampa I mean his 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 figures were were incredible. Um, less than a went for less than a run of ball throughout the the whole tournament. And uh, again, I've mentioned I've mentioned uh, Mitch Marsh, but the the whole team working together. I thought that uh, Aaron uh, captained really well uh, on the field. I felt that the the fielding was a, a really good standard. So um, you know, really um, the confidence and the momentum built throughout the campaign. And you know, we now we we now host the postponed men's T20 World Cup next year so there's going to be huge expectation but you know I think uh, once we get back and um, I'm sure they'll have an eye on on trying to retain the trophy well done there Nick well mm. done indeed a little shimmy after 10 seconds and off he went to talk Adam Zampa nothing there for David Warner but as he made the point there listen David Warner's performed well we can judge him on his cricket and his cricket was yep. excellent I wanted to find out more though. I wasn't letting him off the hook there <laughs> with Nick because let's talk about the cultural reboot now of Cricket Australia following of course the controversy of that incident which of course saw Steve Smith Warner himself Cameron Bancroft banned from the game for their roles in Sandpaper Gate down in South Africa I pointed out is it now all about individuals taking more responsibility for their actions on the pitch as well as off it yeah and I think there's been there's been a huge amount of work done um, since uh, uh, 2018 uh, under Justin's leadership and uh, a lot of discussion about obviously performance on the field but um, really the the team's mantra has been to make Australia make Australians proud and um, yeah, I think increasingly uh, sports people around the world understand you know they're held to high account they're role models for, for little kids and um, I think again what was really just pleasing from uh, for this campaign is they looked like they were really enjoyed the cricket, their cricket. They looked like they really enjoyed each other's company. And ultimately, you know, a large part of um, our work and my team's work is to encourage 
little girls, little boys to pick up a bat and ball. And so to, to see that being played out um, is, uh, is just great to see. It was not ridiculed, but there was a bit of fun poked at some of the phraseology that was used in the reboot, the cultural reboot, reboot yeah. and the kind of, uh, I suppose... Um, you know, that's very sanitised. Yeah, PR spiel. Yeah. It's as if they've sat down with marketeers and they've come up with just buzzwords, wasn't it, yeah. at the time? But hey, yeah. listen, you've got to judge Australian cricket for, for, for where it's at. And I thought they performed, uh, performed very well indeed over the course of this World Cup. They never won it. And what better way to kind of silence the naysayers, forget all what they've, what they've done wrong before than winning a major tournament as they did. You know, Australia weren't fancied by many, including... Aussie fans weren't exactly expecting them to light it up over here in Dubai. They've done just that. Of course, they move on now. Bigger and better things to come. You've got the Ashes. That's not too far away. And then you've got a tour of Pakistan in March. We'll mm. get to that in a second. But I wanted to get uh, Nick's thoughts on the news that Ben Stokes will be travelling down for England. And I said, I made the point to him, probably not good news in actual fact. From an Australian perspective, the fact that Ben Stokes is going to be heading down there. But of course, from a sporting and a cricket lover's perspective great news Ben's had his well documented public uh, kind of mental health demons if you will and I put that question to Nick and he had this to say I think it's great news for the series I think it's great news for cricket fans I actually think it's good news you know you say it's not such good news uh, for, for Australia I mean the reality is these guys want to test themselves against the best and Headingley 2019 you know we all remember how um just the most remarkable individual performance um, shifted the series. So, uh, you know, I think we're just really um, delighted that uh, Ben, you know, after what has been, um, as I understand it, a pretty challenging time, is uh, feels that, you know, he's back, um, he's training up on the Gold Coast as we speak, and, uh, you know, we're... we're um, as I say, we're keen to test ourselves um, against the best, and um, he's certainly one of the, you know, a world world class player. He certainly is, and it was. He's also had injuries as well. He's had a hand injury, hand injury, and obviously he said he just needed to step away, which is fantastic. So I want to play this final clip from Nick if I can, because talk to Ashes, big kind of part of that Ashes is the fact that England will be going down there and given the fact that the kind of furore surrounding English cricket right now with Yorkshire and what is going on over there, uh, you know, that should be a, a pretty tasty series in more ways than one. I had to finish, though, because, of course, we've got a lot of Pakistani listeners to our show and it wasn't lost on me that Australia have added a couple of T20 matches. They're heading back to Pakistan early next year in 2022 for the first time in 24 years. We've been huge advocates for getting cricket back over to Pakistan, provided, of course, mm. it is safe to do so. We've loved having the Pakistan team over here but as I've often said on these shows, you know, for young kids, for them to see their stars on their home, you know, their home wickets and then to see the best international cricketers flocking to Pakistan, it's what's needed. And uh, Nick had this to say for Australia's upcoming tour. Oh, it's, it's huge. And you only have to look at that semi-final. The passion, yeah. the passion for cricket in that country is, is off the chart. Uh, you're, right, you're right in saying that Australia hasn't toured there for, for 20, 24 years. Um, so there's, um, you know, the work we'll be doing over the, the, the next three months is, 
is uh, we've got a, a, a pre-tour, standard pre-tour. Uh, we, we've had spent some, some great time with the Pakistan Cricket Board over the last few days. Um, you know, I think there's a, there's a fantastic relationship there and you know, I think we're just extre- extremely, extremely excited about, about the prospect of, of heading, heading back to Pakistan. It's been extremely well received in Australia and, and ultimately um, we're, just, we're just so... Uh, so, so excited to see cricket getting back out to um, in front of those those fans. I mean, certainly we've got we've got a very vibrant expat community uh, in Australia. And whenever Pakistan play, whether it's whether it's World Cups, uh, you know, I think back to 2015 to the India-Pakistan match at the Adelaide Oval. Um, just hugely, hugely passionate, hugely knowledgeable fans. So, and, and an exceptional cricketing side. So. Um, yeah, we're really focused very much now on, on the Ashes, but then attention will turn very, very quickly to um, what it will be a, a an historic tour of Pakistan. Two big tours coming up, I must admit, from an English perspective. I'm not holding out too much hope of England's success down under. I never, never do, really. Be, but you, uh, you need an outstanding side from an England perspective. You need, I think for England right now, they could be doing with an opening batter. That's the problem. Yeah, that, that will be Ultimately, I do think that will be England's undoing. Yeah. The fact that they don't have two kind of stalwarts, two individuals who have settled into that team. You know, in the case of Crawley, you know, and, and, and other Sibley, they, they just don't convince, haven't convinced, and ultimately, I do feel Australia will win the series. And ultimately, I think, you know, not to point fingers, but I do think the crux of England's issues will come at the top of the order. The Offscript Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. 